You know, it's the dog days of summer out there, and records are being broken for temperatures across the country. But over at ACEC, our eyes are fixed on October, because that's when we're going to be holding our 2023 Fall Conference. That's right, and registration is open now for the event taking place from October 15th through the 18th in beautiful Austin, Texas. Now go over to our website, www.ecec.org FC to get all the information you need to register for this event. Now seize your opportunity to be part of the largest event in the engineering design service industry focused on the business of engineering, where professionals attend educational sessions, major networking events, forums, roundtables, and more. Early Bird, again, ends on September 14th. Make sure you lock in the best rate possible. Go to www.acec.org fc for all the information you need. Again, the 2023 ACEC Fall Conference, Austin, Texas, October 15th through 18th. We'll see you there. The AZ industry is rapidly changing, but your team doesn't have time to reinvent workflows for every new technology or client demand. ProjectWise, powered by iTwin, puts you in control and positions your firm for non-disruptive change. Whether you need to improve design quality, optimize existing processes, or even get started with digital delivery and digital twins, ProjectWise enables you to make the most of what you already have without starting over. Visit go.bentley.com forward slash podcast to see how ProjectWise is empowering AEC firms to do more with less. Once again, that's go.bentley.com forward slash podcast to learn more. from the American Council of Engineering Companies. And today we're kind of extending our conversation, the series of conversations we've been having about planning, strategic planning, organizational development, growth. Um, and, you know, in the past couple of episodes, we've talked about a lot of things happening in the industry related to M&A activity, firms that are growing through mergers, acquisitions, trying to acquire different practice areas. But look, what about organic growth? What about a firm that's been able to grow its profile over a number of decades and do so successfully and and really do it through organic growth. And the firm that we want to talk about today is Kimley Horn. And to talk about that, I want to bring on Barry Barber. He is the uh, chairman of the board at Kimley Horn. He's a principal at the firm and he serves as really the individual who is kind of shaping the um, the growth pattern at the firm, and and as 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 part of this effort of this of part of the leadership team and in, in, in doing this, they've been able to really grow the firm from practically about five hundred individuals to seventy five hundred individuals over thirty years with basically no mergers, and they added three thousand um, uh, employees uh, since two twenty twenty, um, and the question is, you know, really how. How has the firm been able to do this in, in a time where, um, you know, the marketplace has gotten very competitive and, and, and uh, you know, there's so many firms out there that are trying to, to bring on other firms and, and try to do it through M&A activity. So, uh, Barry, I'm really pleased to have you on the, for the show and uh, to really get into this topic. 
Thank you, Jeff. It's great to join you. So let's talk about the firm itself. I mean, you know, give me a kind of a, the rundown elevator pitch of Kimley Horn and, and its main core areas of, of, of work. Yeah, so we're a pure, pure consulting firm, um, pretty much all areas of civil engineering, uh, as well as landscape architecture, environmental sciences. Um, and in recent years, we found ourselves branching out into some different areas involving technology, different elements of, of engineering. So uh, kind of a full full service, broad range of, of uh, service offerings that we have. So with that broad area of consulting services, I mean, how, how have you established and, and nurtured a firm culture at Kimley Horn? And how has that culture helped in your growth strategy? Oh, it's been it's been instrumental. You you referenced earlier, you know, going from roughly 500 people to 7,500 people over the course of the last 30 years. So we were we were formed in 1967. Um, I happened to have joined the firm in June of '94. I think I was employee number 520 at the time, um, and uh, we are about 7,500 people today. So it's been quite a quite a ride. Um, and as you said, it's been almost exclusively through. Uh, through organic growth. I mean, we we really don't have mergers as part of our act, as part of our growth strategy. Um, we focus on kind of hiring and growing a person person at a time. Um, we think that's a a great way for us to be able to maintain our culture. We feel like it's a great way for us to be able to maintain our our profitability um, and really kind of stay true to our our core. Um, one of the things that I think is really important to understand about our firm is that. The culture we have today has been around for a long, long time. So mm -hmm. our early leaders, um, I think they just did a phenomenal job of, of kind of articulating a culture, kind of creating a culture. Um, mm -hmm. And today, I, I kind of put it simply, we just try not to mess it up because they put some great things in place and uh, we've just been the benefactors of that. So with new employees coming on, are they enrolled into the kind of the corporate culture at Kimley Horn or their guiding principles or tenants that you try to instill on those young employees and then make sure that that's, you know, cultivated over time and just brought on as they kind of grow in the managerial kind of a, a role for imparting on new employees. And it's just that continuation of, of the, of the, of the culture, because being around for so long and, and growing at such a pace, it's, you know, keeping that culture intact is a challenge because there's always that push pull generationally yeah. and just the way the market yeah. is. Yeah, absolutely. There, there is a, a push pull. Um, one of the things I think is important is we have always had an emphasis on maintaining the culture. I, I remember when I joined a 500 person firm was stressed out about how can we go to 800 and still keep our culture. And then it was 800, no way we can do it at 1200. And then 1200, it was like, gosh, a 2000 person firm, how can we keep the culture? Um, several years back, I remember going to a, a planning meeting where we had, uh, there were about 2,500 people at the time. And the planning topic was planning for a 7,500 person firm. And I got to admit, I was sort of going to the meeting going, yeah, right. This is, I, I just don't see this. I don't see this happening. And you know, where are we today? It's about 7,500 people. And, and so uh, um, it's just, I, I say that just because it has always been a priority, right? It's been something that's from, from the beginning is important. Um, we have, I think have done a nice job of really articulating the culture, writing it down. I, I remember as a recruit, um, I was handed this little green book that was entitled philosophy um, which was, you know, 15, 20 pages, small, uh, you know, small, you know, wasn't very, wasn't very big. And uh, um, I was like, if, if this is true, 
this is an incredible firm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I today, here's the current version of that same document. It's a different shade of green. It's a little bit different size. The words are 90% the same as they were back in, back you know, 30 years ago. And uh, there's just lots of different ways we've done it. And so when you've written down the culture, when you've articulated the culture, that gives you a basis from which to be able to teach and, and, and pass along the culture. And so uh, kind of to your earlier point, um, you know, our training classes, as people join us, there's a constant, um, you know, sharing of, of, of culture. Um, as leaders of the firm travel from office to office, that's a big priority for us is just kind of kind of share some things. Um, one of my former colleagues used to describe it that the Kimlehorn culture or learning our culture is sort of like pulling back layers of the onion. You know, I've been here a long yeah. time now. I'm, I'm pretty inner circle with the firm. But as recently as two or three weeks ago, I was in a conversation with one of the former leaders of the firm. I was asking him questions about how things came into being and I learned things I didn't know. Right. And I, I think that's kind of there's that nuance, that learning the, yeah. the depth. And uh, we just encourage people to do it. We talk about it all the time, all the time. And uh, I think that's what let us be successful at it. Yeah, it's, it's there for a reason, because these yeah, things have developed over time. How does that extend into project selection um, and, and, and the actual business? Right. Because you have your core values and principles that kind of guide the working of the firm. How empowered right. are your employees to say, you know, whether a, a project, whether it fits in or let's say it contra contrasts with certain areas of firm culture or, or the principles to bring that up as an actual area of concern to you know, upper management? Yeah, well, I, th I think it, it happens a lot. We try very hard to have what we kind of the phrase we use is frontline empowerment, mm -hmm. um, where the, the people who are closest to the action, co closest to our clients are really helping to drive um, drive decisions. Um, we have what we refer to as a corral, which is sort of a you know four different elements of uh, of decision making. And as long as something fits within the corral, people are 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 able to to go and do it right. And and uh, you know obviously we're we're focusing as when we talk about the work that we do, um, you know profitability, our ability to to be profitable on the work is is critical critical. Uh, contract language, making sure we're signing contracts that are in the best interest of our firm long term and protect the firm. Very, 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 very important. Um, but so kind of beyond those normal parameters, um, our practice builders, the folks on the front lines can really make the decisions on the type of projects that they chase. Very rarely at our firm is some, you know, quote unquote, management on high yeah. Um, determining where we're going to work or even what kind of work we're going to do. It's really our people who are our practice builders who are closest to the action are, are really driving that. Um, and so that's a, a, ma a major element of the culture. Uh, a second element of it that's really important is being a great place to work. Um, you know, we're, I think there's a lot of, of um, it, it, it's cheap talk sometimes of, you know, we're a great place to work or whatever it may be. Um, when the reality is that, that maybe that's not really where the focus of the leadership is, at the end of the day, consulting is about having yeah. the best people, right? And the, the firm with the best people wins, plain, plain and simply. And yes. that's our goal is to have the best people. And we, we think we do. And we're, we're fortunate to have been uh, recognized by Fortune 16 times as a best place to work, you know, on their Fortune 100 list, um, which has been, you know, not that we set that out as a goal. Um, mm -hmm. But it's a nice byproduct of, of the work we've been able to do. Yeah. You know, with the workforce, of course, is our top issue right now at ACC. I think with the, with the infrastructure yeah. bill passed, with really the money starting to flow out, 
through all these bills, the question becomes capacity to actually do the work. Yeah. So we know that there are challenges in graduating enough engineers out of school, number one, retaining those engineers into our industry and making sure that they stay and they, they, they grow. Um, for the new generation of engineers, and this is something which is a hot topic, and we always talk about exactly what do the younger cohort of engineers look for in a firm. Um, and of course, all the reporting that's done about the either millennials or say, you know, Gen Z, it's starting to kind of filter out through universities of saying they want something more than just a paycheck. They want to be able to go to a yeah. place that actually drives value. How, how important is it from like a market differentiator that you have that, that green book, that you have that core set of principles that might be the, really the difference maker in, a, in, in, an, in an engineer deciding where to go? Yeah, it, it's it's critical. And and let's face it, there are a lot of really good firms in our industry. I think we're we're one of them. Um, but uh, your issue or your your topic related to having finding people is is huge. We talk about it all the time. It's one of the reasons why we're so committed to our college recruiting program. You know, yeah. this year we've hired more than 900 um, folks directly off the college campus. We did the same thing last year. We have over close to a thousand interns with us mm -hmm. this summer because um, we're just we're looking to seed the ranks with with great people but at the end of the day you know all people particularly some of the younger folks want to be at a firm where they can make a difference and yeah. um you know that some of the things i mentioned earlier practice building frontline obsession those kind of things i hopefully reinforce um, that notion i also think that uh having stability and ownership transition uh is mm -hmm. huge um and we're fortunate let's face it within our industry we are fortunate that as we serve our clients as we complete our projects, we're improving our communities, yeah. right? And and so that is a we're, we've we've got that just natural thing that a lot of industries don't have, and I think it's yeah. a real it, it's really helpful to us. You know, that said, our industry has to continue to uh, um, just invest in in trying to find enough people. We're spending a lot of time talking about how we can find people with maybe a little bit of different backgrounds mm -hmm. um, to be part of our, our workforce. We've got a major initiative associated with uh, um, with with uh, hiring and developing and uh, and training uh, CAD professionals. We're looking mm -hmm. at people who have different sorts of engineering backgrounds. We're looking at people yeah. who have just frank, plain and simply just they're just smart people, you know, that that can manage yeah. manage programs, manage projects. And it's I mean, it's 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 priority number one for us and it probably will be for, for the coming decades. It's it's a good point. I mean, you know, the way that the industry is going and with, uh, of course, like the ACC Research Institute is looking at the firm of the future, what the engineering firm 10, 20 years from now is going to look like. And with the emergence of technologies like AI, chat, GPT, all these things are starting to bubble up. Um, it looks like the firm's going to change and, and, and you're always going to have your professional licensed PEs. You're always going to have your engineers that are there, the ones who can actually sign on on the line but you might need a lot more technical staff who can actually help the engineers process operate the systems and and get the information that they need to analyze for projects and casting that net to kind of uh broaden it out to the drone operators or the you know technical staff um and casting that wider wider net um you know how do you see that mix you know as you're planning for the future you know, what, what do you think Kimley Horn might look like 
you know, 10 or 15 years from now? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. The reality is we don't really know. Yeah. Um, as you said, there there will be changes. I, I think that technology is going to be a, a um, obviously going to make massive uh, have massive impact on our industry, have massive impact on our firm. Um, you stated earlier, and I think you're correct, we will have more people with a technology bent mm-hmm. to help us to figure out how to basically what to do with data that we, we get. Um, I think there's always going to be the, the incredible prominence and importance of having the, the civil engineers or other types mm-hmm. of engineers to do the work, but uh, it's, it's going to be changed. I, I think a, a, if you think about from an industry perspective, um, a lot of the work that's been done, a lot of the payment on contracts that's been done for us has been based on, um, um, you know, kind of a getting paid by the hour, if you will. And uh, what happens when you're working more efficiently? You know, Mm -hmm. does that mean your revenue is going to go down? And I think as an industry, obviously that's not, that's not in our best interest um, for that to happen. So we're just going to have to have an incredible emphasis on getting paid for value, right? Which Mm -hmm. I I think our firm, our industry um, brings incredible value to our communities. And we need to make sure that that firms get get well rewarded for that value. Yeah, no, without question. I think the value that that's done by firms, you know, within our industry and and Kimberly Horn, it's it's amazing what you can do for a community, especially especially the communities where, I mean, where where the employees of Kimberly Horn live? I mean, that's yeah. that's the thing. It's they they um they they give back to the communities and 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 they actually improve things. And there's a value proposition there with an essential value to society, which needs to be reinforced. I think that our our board chair Jay Wolverton has done a, a good job of putting that yeah. up front and center. That you know it's 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 value. Um, it, and that's that's something that we need to do a better job of an industry of of expressing that value yes. uh so yes. that yes. like you're you're right you know we're, we get paid by the hour but technology is going to make everything more efficient and then what the product what's right. the product at the end of the day and how do you how do you package it i completely agree with you i mean and i think kind of going back to the employee side of things mm-hmm. um i think people just innately want to bring value to to clients they also want to know that they are valued right and so that's something that you know, as a firm, we spend an awful lot of time trying to figure out how we can value our employees. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. ownership transition is a big yes. part of that. Incentive compensation is a big part of that. Um, people treating people with respect, giving people opportunities, all those kind of things. And I mean, let's face it, people can tell when a firm is sincere about yes. those kind of activities. Right. And so that's something we we challenge ourselves with all the time is making sure we truly live up to and a kind of our, our brand promise from an employment perspective. And I would encourage other firms to, to do the same, right? And it's it's more than just the words, it's the actions that, that match it. Ownership transition is a big issue. I think that's, you know, yeah. industry-wide, you know, what, how, how are these firms going to grow over time and, and how is that handoff going to happen? Um, for employees coming into the firm, I mean, it, to your point, is that kind of spelled out? This is the path like once yeah. you're in, this is the path of growth within Kimley Horn, and this yeah. is how you need to get there. I've referenced several times the um, the fact that we've had our early leaders really gave us some great things to build from, and ownership transition is one of those examples. One of our early founders, a guy named Ed Vick, uh, his quote was, "I decided I'd rather own a small piece of something big than a big piece of something small." And so, from the very very beginnings of our firm, ownership transition has been a priority, and so we're you know, 57 years in at this point, 
um, we have, I would believe, a stronger ownership transition situation than we've ever had before. There are about 850 of us that are our shareholders today. Um, no one owns more than 2% of the firm. So it's very, very broadly distributed. But uh, to your earlier point, when a, a, a person joins the firm, they can immediately see what we call the path ownership, which we've got various specific steps that have been spelled out about how one becomes an owner. And it starts with making a contribution to our success, right? So we kind of view becoming an owner kind of like getting married. If you're going to get married, you probably ought to date first. And uh, as, as part of that, uh, and um, and so it's, it's you know, we can say to a, a college student, just as we can say to a senior person who joins us from another firm, you come here and there's an opportunity mm-hmm. for ownership. And we yeah. give hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of examples of how people like them have become owners. And um, but let's face it, solid ownership mm-hmm. transition is what allows us to keep a maintain a strong culture. Right. Because if you if you have a change in ownership, if you have disruption in ownership, yeah. the culture, by definition, is going to change, you know, because it's going to be based on what the new owners think and is what allows us to keep a maintain a strong culture. Right. Because if you yeah. if you have a change in ownership, if you have disruption in ownership, the culture, by definition, is going to change, you know, because mm-hmm. it's going to be based on what the new owners think. And so yeah. we describe ourselves as being fiercely private. And I believe that that has been just absolutely instrumental in allowing us to maintain a strong culture and, and have yeah. great success for decades. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's uh, there. There are there are there are a few companies out there that are multi-generational in nature and are still the same to like they don't they don't they don't change with the wind they don't change with the with with the with with just for the sake of changing you have that core guiding principle that means that yeah absolutely in fact we've been at we've been at it so long we don't even think in terms of generations anymore so your phrase multi-generational is is very, very accurate. Um, you know, we, we've got, you know, our, our original owners are, have long since, uh, long since retired as well as the people that replaced them. And at this point, we've got a, a very, very diverse set of owners, um, you know, from their thirties to their seventies. Right. And, and as I said earlier, no one owns a, a real significant individual piece. In fact, I think our entire 13 person board of directors owns less than 12% of the firm. So, um, which is wonderful. That's the way we design it. So it's kind of a, the, 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 the pyramid is, is just getting flatter and flatter. And uh, we're excited about that. We see that as a really positive and healthy thing for us, which gives us tremendous stability going forward. Very evenly distributed. Yes. Because everybody, yes. everybody has an interest, but nobody has a, a, a right. Like overly exactly. interest. Exactly. There, there's a lot. Well, of yeah. That well, they, yeah. No one overly compelling. Maybe I shouldn't say overweighted. overweighted. A lot of people, a lot of people have a lot of value in the stock. Yeah. It's just no one has enough control, enough stock to, to be able to do things unilaterally, which is the way it ought to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And it, I mean, there's just a lot here. I think for firms that are, that are looking to grow and maybe are, 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 you know, we're so business, you know, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of times our firms are so focused on the work that's coming in and they want to get the work out and they want to, they want to start establishing um, kind of the same kind of culture that, that Kim Lee Horn has. I mean, look to firms like Kim Lee Horn as the model, you know, to see how you can establish something that's going to last a long time and not, not really change uh, because of 
you know, a knee-jerk reaction to external factors, right? You have a guiding guiding set of principles that actually help you weather financial storms, economic changes, changes in market, because you have that set way of doing things. Um, so, uh, Barry, I, I do appreciate your time, you know, talking about this. It's 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 a great example of growth through leadership and clarity of purpose and mission um, that is is a great counterpoint to um, a lot of the other activity that we're seeing in the marketplace, which is just a lot of, of, of M&A activity. Uh, so it's, it's nice to get that other side of the story. So I, I do appreciate your time today. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. And uh, we're very, very fortunate, as I said earlier, that some really smart people were selfless and put some great things in place. And uh, we've been, been able to maintain it and hopefully build on it. Great. Well, again, Barry Barber, Chairman of the Board, Kimley Horn, thank you for being with us today. And again, this has been an episode of Engineering Influence, a podcast from the American Council of Engineering Companies. See you next time.